Hey, good morning. All right, so your first job this morning as somebody who's taking careful notes and paying attention to the sermon, pull out your bulletin and on the very back you will see the text that John just read is actually Matthew 25, 14 to 30. I put the wrong text on my slides. So believe the bulletin, don't believe the preacher's slides, okay? And uh, open your Bibles, uh, your Bible app if you have it on your phone, uh, not to this text, but to Matthew 25, 14. And I'll join you there in just a second. And if you have a, a paper Bible with you, then open up to Matthew 25 in that. And a double portion of God's blessing on you for bringing a Bible to church. That's awesome. Good for you. Okay, so uh, we are grateful this morning, as always, uh, because God has richly blessed us. He is generous to us. We see people using their gifts here this morning, uh, leading us in worship. And we thank Ted and the praise team for that. The people greeting at the doors, those leading from the, the sound and the audio video booth in the back are a blessing. All the people participating in our classes, leading our children, helping them to learn the scriptures and to learn about the love of God. All of these are great blessings, and we thank everyone who's participating and serving at this church in those ways. Amen? Amen. So why don't we pray together this morning? Let's bow. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful, eternally grateful, for your great generosity. No one set the bar higher than you did. You created all things, the heavens and the earth, and you put us in this beautiful world full of uh, adventure and beauty and provisions for us. And God, even when we have messed things up badly and lived a life of sin and rejected you, you've made provision through Jesus Christ to be even more generous to us so that through his sacrifice, his blood, you have redeemed us. You have ransomed us for yourself. God, now pour out generously on this church your Holy Spirit so that we can be people who follow in the generous love of Jesus, willingly giving whatever it may be that you've put into our hands and allowing it to pass through and to meet needs of others and to bring about and multiply and to uh, compound your joy in this world to make it greater and greater uh, with momentum that this church can bless Northwest Arkansas uh, with love, peace, joy, and hope as we serve you. God, will you do all these things through Jesus and for your own glory, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, and the whole church says, amen. So, we are in our second week of this series called Generosity. Generosity. And I love that today's parable of Jesus, that we're going to come back to in just a minute, is a parable that most of you have probably heard before. Uh, if you've spent some time reading the scriptures throughout your life, I'm sure you've heard the parable of the talents that John just read for us, the five bags of gold, the two bags, and the one bag. And when I was growing up, we didn't call them bags of gold. They called them talents, right, in the Bible. That was the word for them. In fact, in my slightly older version of the Bible here, they still use that word. And so we're, we're doing the parable of the talents. And here's the beautiful thing about it. Whether you have heard this parable many times or this is your first time, God has something he wants to do through you today with the parable, and it could be fresh and brand new. Because God is never done working on us just because we've heard something before. I said last week, no two sermons that I give, even on the same morning, are ever the same because the people in the room are different. And God has brought us to church today uh, in a different way than we came last week. So you have had experiences, and I don't know what some of those may be for you. It may be that last night some of you found out that you lost a job or that yesterday you took a new job 
Uh, it could be the loss of someone you loved. It could be a, a note that you received in the mail that encouraged you and you're coming out of a depression. It could be you feel yourself sinking into one. Whatever place you're in this morning, God uniquely speaks to us through the parable of Jesus that he gave once for all time, but that works in fresh new ways at all times. Isn't that amazing that God can do that? And so I want to I challenge you from the beginning this morning to be thinking about an old, old parable that you've heard many times and what might God be saying today to you in your circumstances through this message? And it relates so well to the theme verse we've been using throughout the year. Maybe you remember Romans 15, 13. This blessing, a prayer really, that Paul wrote for the Roman church. And I've said it over us many times, but I'll, I'll say it again right now. May the God of hope fill you all with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you all may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. It's a great prayer. And what God is saying in that verse through Paul's prayer for the church in Rome is that each of us have had downloaded inside of us some good thing from God. Joy or peace or whatever else it may be, whatever gift of the Spirit, that he has put inside of us because he is a God who looks forward into the future with great hope. When he sees what is coming, he doesn't despair. God doesn't spend a lot of time focused on what could have been, but what could be. And so the God of future-looking hope has put in you joy or peace or something like that so that it will overflow out of us again, which means God wants to multiply it. God didn't give us something just so that we have enough to get by. It's not a battery pack that will last until your clock runs out and you're destined for heaven. It is a battery pack that will be charged to overflowing throughout your life so that more and more you abound with the graces of God and actually bring to Him more joy by pouring out your joy in the lives of others. And we can see how it's worked in the history of the church at large and of this congregation, this growing church where people are participating and serving. Because every time you pour out of love your money, your time, your efforts, you use your uh, belongings and properties for the kingdom of God, and you see people worshiping God. You see people smiling. You see people greeting each other in the name of Jesus. You see wounds being healed. You see the kind of things that can build up over time, over years, like grudges that build up over time with even more momentum. You see them coming down, the, the walls coming down. You see the scars, emotional scars that can build up over time. Being healed miraculously and people beginning to, to move past their past and into the full love of Jesus. We see and we experience that what he has for us is momentum. And it's momentum that isn't going to disappoint by going in the wrong direction. It's momentum that is going to fill us even fuller by going in the right direction with Jesus Christ. He has not called us to stand still and merely get by, has he? He's called us to abundance. So let's work through a couple of texts together. This is going to be the sermon within the sermon. And then we'll move back to our parable. First text is Genesis chapter 1. I, I think you guys are up again, so Genesis 1 if you would. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
And we've said this is a Jewish way of saying all that there is. God made everything. You see, from the very beginning, God was not in need. He's never been a God of need. He's never been a God in need. God has all things. All things were made by him. As the one song says, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and he owns all the hills as well. Everything that is was made by God. But look at what he did in the same chapter, verse 26. And then God, after making all things and even humanity, man, the man and the woman, he said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So when God comes to this place of making the man and the woman, he has a purpose in mind. And his purpose is, I have filled the world with goodness, animals and plants and trees and so on. And long, long, long before there was the American dollar or the Roman denarius or any kind of currency where people had taken their effort of their week and um, condensed it down into something that you could trade and spend, before people manufactured, before people did any kind of savings, God filled the world, the world of fullness with life, with animals, with plants. And then he said, what we need here are some people to manage it. And he put humanity into the world as sub-sovereigns, as co-rulers, to, to rule over all of these things. And all of these things, the animals and the plants, are consumables. They could be used up. But God didn't put people here to use them up. He put them here so that all of the world would be blessed and multiply and be full of life with people as his managers over creation. In Psalm 24, the, the psalmist wrote a song about this truth. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And so anything that we may even think for a moment is mine is really uh, entrusted to me temporarily by the God who owns all things, the past, the present, the future, and, by the way, to whom everything will return. And so this is moving closer now towards the parable that Jesus gave today. The manager uh, doesn't own the money that's given to him. He's entrusted with it for a while. And it's going to return to the maker or to the master in the parable. But before we get there, one more Old Testament scripture. When Moses was preaching his final series of sermons to the Israelites, he's given them these speeches about everything they've done over the years of wilderness wanderings. And they're about to enter into the promised land, Canaan's land, you know, full of all of the good food and the blessings God had put there. He said, now, you Israelites, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. That's my voice for people that are very arrogant about their wealth. <clears throat> but, he said, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Wow. It is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. I wonder if we started thinking about that phrase, what might come to mind? It's not just that the things I have and the blessings I enjoy have been given to me by God. It's that even the very ability to make more of those things or to multiply them has also been given to me by God. Think about some of the things you're enjoying today that are an ability God has given you to produce more in life whether wealth or joy or relationships, whatever it might be. What has he given you? 
the hands that you would use to work and to file things or to, uh, to type out your messages on your computer or your phone or to shake hands and strike a deal. Hasn't he given you these? And what about the feet you walked in on today? What about the mouth that you used to speak? And for me, as somebody whose work largely has to do with speaking, boy, that's a really touching thought. You know, the work of ministry is a lot of preaching and teaching of the scriptures and praying with people that involves words and visiting in the hospitals and in homes. So there's this relationship building through dialogue. What would I do if God didn't give me the ability to produce those relationships and that work so that I could supply income for my family and also build up the work of this church? Well, I actually have a friend in ministry, a mentor, an older minister, who has gone through exactly that crisis. He's been through cancer seven times. And one of the cancer surgeries that he had removed 90% of his tongue. A man who speaks and makes his living through speaking. At the time that he had the surgery that removed that percentage of his tongue, he was told he would never speak again and would never taste again and would be fed through a feeding tube for the rest of his life. This fell in a period of his life when he had lost a parent, his spouse, and a child, all within about a three-year period. Talk about an awakening to what God has given and how our time on earth is sometimes shorter than we think. Now, in the story of my friend, things have turned out very well. God has continued to bless him, and one of the ways was he regained his taste. So whenever they took him out of the hospital telling him he wouldn't taste again, his first request was, take me to Chick-fil-A. See, we know he's a good Christian man, right? <laughs> and they took him to Chick-fil-A, and he ordered a lemonade, and they had to help him hold the straw up to his mouth because he couldn't yet do that by himself and could hardly suck, but he got a little bit of the lemonade into his mouth on his tongue and swished it around, and he, with eyes wide open, looked at his friends and said, I can taste it. You see, taste and see that the Lord is good means something new when we realize that every ability we have every day is a gift from God. And whatever we would do with it is how we're managing God's time, God's person, God's body, God's money, and so on. So here's the key principle that we're working through this morning. God owns it all. He owns everything, but he's made me his manager for a time over part of it. And this is where Jesus' parable picks up the story. So let me read part of the parable again. Jesus said again, it will be like a man going on a journey. Uh, Jesus said again, it will be like a man going on a journey. Well, what will be like a man going on a journey, Jesus? You don't start off a good story with an it. You start off with a thing, and then later you use it to describe the thing. Well, see, we've joined Jesus in the middle of a speech. So if you're looking in your Bible, you may notice there's a lot of red words that come before this and after this. In chapters 24 and 25, there's a speech that has become known as the Olivet Discourse. Jesus gave it on the Mount of Olives. And so in this speech, he's actually giving several parables in succession, answering a question. The disciples asked him, what will be the signs of the end times and how will we know that they're coming? Instead of answering their question, Jesus has told them, you'll never know when the end is going to come. The Father alone knows. The Son doesn't even know. So stop worrying about when, which would be a point in time, and start worrying about how to be prepared, which would be a line through time. 
Now, uh, next week, actually, Todd is going to be preaching about eyes on eternity, which I'm very excited about for you all. And he's going to talk a little bit, I believe, about a point being like life and the line being eternity, which is a great metaphor. So here's what, what Jesus is doing with the it. He's continuing to answer the question, how should you live to the end? And what will prepare you to be the kind of person that God is looking for? So the kingdom of heaven, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. You see, there's that word again. He didn't give it. He didn't sign it over. He entrusted to his servants his wealth. And to the one he gave five bags of gold, the other two, and the other one bag, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. So when I was little, I heard the word talents. And I didn't know what a talent was. I just imagined it was like a really big, nice gold coin or something. And so in my mind, I always pictured these guys walking away from the master. And the one guy has five coins in his hand, and he just drops them in his pocket. And the other guy has two, and the one guy has one. And they walk away going, well, that was nice of him, you know, to give us a tip or whatever. I was thinking in terms of, I've got a dollar, I've got a dollar, I've got a dollar, hey, 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 hey. You know, when you imagine a little bit is really a lot. But here's what's actually happening. They're bags of gold in the NIV, the newer versions have translated it that way to make a point out of talent that we may have been missing. They're not just a bag of gold, they're a bag of gold that the value of would be 15 to 20 years of wages saved up in that bag. This means if you had five talents, It'd be worth roughly somewhere near the modern amount of $5 million. And two talents would be like getting $2 million. And even the guy who gets the paltry one talent, and we're always like, poor guy, they got five, he got one. It's a million dollars in today's currency. You know, that's more than walking around money. This is something you can really make a splash with, make a difference with. It's the kind of gift that you could dream off of if you were inclined to dream. It's the kind of gift that you could build off of if you were inclined to build. And it's the kind of gift that has already come in an abundance so that it can prosper to even greater abundance. It's not barely getting by money. This parable ultimately is about God and Israel. Jesus has been speaking to them about the wasted opportunities that the nation of Israel, they just over and over had wasted God's generous blessings. But he doesn't want his people to remain like that. Now I want to skip to where the master receives the servants. So the guy with the five comes back and over the years he's earned the five more and the guy with the two has earned the two more. So now we're talking 10 million and 4 million. Great uh, work that was done by these guys. And it didn't matter what the amount was they came back with. It's not like this guy did 60% better or whatever the math is there. It's according to their ability they had been faithful. And so the master responds to them both the same way. He doesn't say to the one guy, you know, who produced the, the extra five, like, you did even better than the guy with two. He says to both of them, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. And I love this line. Come and share your master's happiness. See, the picture of God in this story is when we come back to him having used what he gave us to multiply in this world his praises, his worship, his joy, sons and daughters for God. We've made his name great in the world. We've used our opportunities to bless him and, and, and to compound his interest in the world when we've compounded his joy. 
God is pleased. And he says, share my happiness. I have so much to give you. Oh, God, overflowing with pleasure in us. But the man who had received the one bag of gold came. And master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. In other words, he says, I know that you use people to multiply your possessions, right? You use managers to make more money in the parable. So I was afraid, and I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. You see, here is what belongs to you. This is a critique of Jesus for the kind of worship and living that through fear says, we better just not lose ground. Let's do anything but take a step backwards. Instead of thinking about hope and building and investing and making the world a better place and showing what God's contribution to the world would be if God was here in human form, this guy decides, I'll sit on it. And so his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. They're hard words. You knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. So you, you admit that you know what I'm looking for is an increase, and yet you just sat on it in fear, not moving forward in hope. He goes, well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers. So when I returned, I'd have received it back with some interest. I felt really weird when I read this this week, because last week I told you they didn't have banks. And uh, I, I don't think they did have many banks. I did a little deeper digging this week, and apparently there were some people who would loan and exchange money for interest. Wasn't quite like the banks we have today. But apparently there was an option. With a million bucks in your hand, you could find somebody who would take your money and give it back to you with some growth. And he didn't take the opportunities. So the master says, take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has the ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. You see that word? Mark it. Circle it. They will have an overflow. It's the same word from our theme verse, Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope give you joy and peace as you trust in him so that you will overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the same Greek word. And Jesus is saying to the people who have moved forward with God using what he gave them to multiply God's goodness in the world and make his contribution to the world, they are going to have this overflowing abundance. But the one who doesn't have, even what they have will be taken from them. You see, in the kingdom of God, it doesn't pay to live for not losing. In the kingdom of God, it doesn't pay to live for just not taking a step backwards. The kingdom of God is about pressing ahead with joy towards heaven and using everything he's entrusted to my care to bring about God's good work. He says, throw the worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And these are hard words. To think that God does expect from you and me something with what he's given us. To know that it matters so much to him that he would tell a story, a parable, in which the person who plays it safe is thrown outside and abandoned. Now remember, this is a parable. It's not the entire picture of God. It's the picture given about the question, how should we live until the end? You see, the word talent in the English language 
means to us now a skill with sports or art or something you might be able to sing or perform or something you're really smart at like mathematics. But in this original text, when you see the word talent, it means that amount of money. It, it only means to us now a skill with something because of what that word has done to the English language from the early versions of the English Bible, like the King James Version on. It's left such a deep impact in our English-speaking world that now when we hear that word, we don't think of bags of money, we think of abilities. What would it be like if we started thinking about what God has entrusted to you today as an investment that he's given you in advance of 15 years of income, of ability, of talent? What does it look like if you and I begin looking at our life, no matter how much we have left, as being God's opportunity to multiply things, to multiply people, to multiply the kingdom with what we have? I wonder how much time do you have left? Do you know? No, but you think you know. So how much do you think you have? Some people in the room might think, I've got five years. Some people might think they have 15 a whole talent. Some people might think that they have 60. I'm fond of telling Jenna, I do this pretty often, that I'm going to live to be 93. She has asked me before, sometimes quite seriously, is that just something you made up or did you get a vision? <laughs> to which I just like to smile. <laughs> but I tell her often, my plan is to live to 93. Which would mean, if that comes true and God grants it, I would have like four 15-year periods left in my life. Well, 58 years total, I'm 35, right? So what would I do if I knew right now that God could allow me to start with something small in 2019? And by 2020, maybe it was a little bit more influential, whether my gift of money or the way that I served in the church. What if by 2025 I was really making a splash, an impact? And what if 15 years from now, in the mid-2030s, it was really bringing about worship and multiplying God in northwest Arkansas? And then what if God was so generous that he would allow me to do it all over again for 15 years and for 15 more years and for 15 more years? You see, this is a way that you today could start looking at what comes next. What do you think God is going to give you? Let's take a step of faith together. I think the gauge here of my spiritual condition that Jesus is teaching is whether I'm multiplying God's contributions to the world or just trying to get to heaven. And we don't want to just skate by. We don't want to just get in on the skin of our teeth. James 1.27, the brother of Jesus said, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless, faultless is to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So the Pharisees who were saying, let's just get by, let's just not be polluted, let's just not be contaminated, let's just get by, Jesus goes, no, 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 it's about doing something that makes a difference and also not being polluted by the world. I find these words of Jesus from the same chapter both haunting and encouraging. After Jesus tells the story of the talents, he goes on and he tells a story about sheep and goats, and it really has to do with people who either invested in the lives of others or who only invested in themselves. He said at the end, the king will reply to some of the people, 
Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Whether it was feeding them, clothing them, visiting them in prison, things that would both take time and cost money. Jesus says, when you did it for another person, when you made a contribution in the world, signing God's check for God's things as if it was for God's purposes, you were doing it for me. But he'll reply to those who withheld and just skated by and who didn't live generously. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of me, these you did not do for me. Jesus takes this quite personally. And here's how personally he takes it. Even though these parables and these sayings and about throwing people out where there's weeping and gnashing of, of teeth are so severe and should wake us up to the opportunities we have and that are worth not wasting. Jesus takes this the most personally of all. Because after he's done giving these speeches, just a few verses later, he looks his disciples in the eyes. The sermon's over, and to his friends he says, as you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. By which Jesus shows us that the one thrown outside was to be himself. The one out in the darkness was Jesus. When the eclipse came and the skies darkened and he literally died in the darkness, grinding his teeth in pain on the cross, the gnashing of the teeth. You see in these parables, there's a strong warning, a stiff life vision from Jesus. But for those of us who feel like we've used up all of our opportunities, our talents are all wasted or gone, we don't have anything left to bring, I'm digging up my one talent today because I've heard this, and I want to come back to God, and I want to be like, look, this is still all I've got. I don't have anything else to give yet, but, but if I could, I would. I would use it to do something in this world and make a contribution. There's one who's died in the darkness. There's one who's been cast out. You see, that's the fuller picture of God. It doesn't have to end that way, not with a vision of hope like this. So tomorrow, today, let's stand. And as we sing this final song, uh, and as we worship the God who's generous, if you want to pray with us for any reason, you want to come down here and put on Christ in baptism, you want to pray, you want to meet the Jesus who died in the darkness for you, let's do it together this morning as we worship. Let the weak say I am strong. Let